0: specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com.
1: This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.
2: Have you ever heard the phrase, never let a good crisis go to waste? Whether it's a global pandemic, a housing crash, or a great financial recession, Recognizing and seizing an opportunity can be a life changer. This is precisely what Chris Dyer decided to do back in 2009, amongst one of the worst recessions we have ever seen since the Great Depression. Faced with cutting costs and laying off people to keep his business alive, Chris went from a sticks and bricks business to a completely virtual company. To succeed in a remote working environment, Chris points out that employees need to set boundaries. Communicate those boundaries, both internal and external, and have the discipline to stick with it. Chris acknowledges that there's no natural start or stop time when it comes to working remote, which is why it's so critical for people to set boundaries so they do not fall into the trap of working constantly. Chris advises both employees and employers on how to f- create the right environment and determine what practical methods are necessary to make virtual work successful for all parties. Please enjoy my conversation with Chris Dyer. All right. So, Chris, when I when I look through your LinkedIn background, it's really unique. <laughs> I see like four or five different businesses that you're currently a part of so I want to get dive into your background. I think that's a good place to start potentially is what are all the things that you are involved with right now? Okay. Yeah, we can definitely do that. <laughs> I, big question right off the top.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, my main, the main thing that I do, my number one focus is on the CEO of people G2. We're a 100% fully remote background check company. Uh, we've been fully remote since 2009. And from that experience, from the things that I have been doing and learning uh, and really working on inside that organization, especially since 2009. So when recession hit 2009 and I uh, decided we were going to go remote. I decided I was going to focus on my people as my number one priority, not my clients, not my services, but my people. And because when I went remote and I realized how much better that was for everyone, it was like a light bulb moment where I went, geez, I haven't really been thinking about my people. Like I was thinking about innovation or I was thinking about how to get new clients and right. And so that was a real lesson for me that I should be spending my time worrying about them. They'll spend their time worrying about my clients and my services and everything else. And so that's where, when we started rapidly growing because of that, when things started changing, we started being, you know, awards and being named best places to work. People started asking me to come and talk about what we were doing and to talk about culture. And, um, so I started, you know, talking to seven people at the back of salon Z at a hotel, you know, and worked my way up to, you know, pre COVID I was speaking to as many as 15,000 people in the keynote, you know, just that kind of giant type of a thing. So, um, you know, and really talking about all the, the lessons and the things. And so along the way, you know, that turned into a radio show and turned into a book and, and all of that. And then Kim Shepard and I got connected because she's always been my mentor. Uh, she was the one who went remote before I did. And she taught me everything about remote. But um, we talk about in the book is that Kim very often was the one who created the idea and i was often the one who took her good idea and then turned it into something else all right i i i'm she's sort of the inventor and i'm the ideator um, and so you know she she came up with like what is a cockroach meeting and then i came up with like six other meeting types right and it's sort of iterated off of that um, and so i now do a lot of public speaking i do a lot of trainings i do a lot of consulting for companies both around culture and remote work obviously with that being a big big thing. Um, and, and I know there's a lot there. I also, you know, there's a lot of companies that ask me to come in. And so I've got quite a few that I'm involved with, you know, that are startups, everything from a cannabis startup to an AI startup to, you know, there's, there's all kinds of stuff. And there where people come in and say, Hey, can you be on our board? Can you be a part of our team? Even if it's just for a few hours a week. Uh, and so I have all those kind of fun projects where I get my hands in lots of different things, but I don't have to like run the day to day or worry about the 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 l
2: Okay, so your so your full responsibilities with G two then, right? Yeah, people G two. So, mm-hmm. so with people G two, did you start off as a, I guess I'll call it like non remote company, like you had an office, people were coming into work,
1: you know that type of situation. Yeah, we were a hundred percent sticks and bricks with you know, and that really meant that uh, we had everyone in one place. Uh, except for we had one employee up in the Bay Area. She was our first remote employee, um, and we didn't really know what we were doing. We were she was an outside salesperson, so she could kind of figure it out. But um, every so, my entire talent pool all lived within driving distance, right, of my office, um, and and so we had experimented a little bit with remote work. We had the one outside salesperson. I also had one of our best researchers come into my office one day and start crying. And I'm like, what's wrong? And she goes, I just got accepted to this great internship in Ireland for a semester. And I'm like, well, why are you crying? And she goes, because I don't want to leave this job. I really like working here. I don't know what I'm going to do for money because I can't work when I'm over there. And I go, you could just keep working if you want to, like if you can handle it with your school. And she goes, I can. And it was like, we figured it out. Like we were like, sure, just, you know, you actually, we're finished the day and then you pick up that work at night. You're actually going to finish it before we would normally would have finished it anyways. Like it's perfect.
2: Right. So, and so we've, so was that like the, the tipping point for you? So like, how, how did you decide to go or transition from sticks and bricks to completely virtual?
1: Yeah. So we at least knew from those two experiences, it was possible and it worked, right? I knew from being around Kim that it worked and she had a hundred at that time. I think, you know, this was 2007, 2008, we were talking about, you know, 160 recruiters around the world or whatever, right? So she, and she grew that before she sold the business, I think up to 300 or 400. Um, But it wasn't until 2009, it wasn't until the financial crash that I was forced to do something different. Much like people are forced to do remote work right now because of COVID, I was forced to make a decision, save money or lay people off. And I could save the money I realized by going remote. And I thought I might just do this temporarily. It might just be for while we were, um, you know, trying to get through the recession. Some really good things happened. Obviously I had Kim to, to, to model this after and ask questions. Our lease just happened to be coming up and I could not, you know, I could just not have to sign a renewal.
2: That's good timing.
1: It was like perfect timing, right? I mean, all this is happening. And then like within a month, I'm supposed to sign a renewal. And I go, guess what? We're not coming back. So we got rid of all of our utilities, all electricity. And we had like giant phone system. We were spending $10,000 a month on phones and back. I mean, just all kinds of stuff that we didn't need. We found better technologies, cheaper So, we saved enough money to not only survive, but also to not have to lay anybody off.
2: And I I should note for the audience, you are located in Southern California. Mm -hmm. And so, that is not a cheap place to live, (laughs) breathe, or rent.
1: (laughs) Right. Right. So, uh, that's what we did. And then later on, we realized, right, I don't have, to your point, I don't have to hire people in an expensive market anymore. And I don't have to hire people just because they can, they're within my driving and and we drive a lot in LA and Orange County, we, we, you know, driving two hours to get to work is not, a, you know, not crazy. People go, oh, that sucks, but they don't think you're crazy for doing it. Cause I know a lot of people that do it. Um, you know, it takes 40 minutes to get to LA from where I live if there's no one on the road, but it takes two hours to get there most times because of traffic.
2: Traffic's bad.
1: Yeah. So. I realized I could hire people in Ohio and in Utah and in Texas and in Florida and wherever I, wherever I could find them. Right. And it was even better if they were in a low cost of living area. And uh, that also opened us up to other really cool opportunities, like hiring people who are physically disabled. They were perfectly capable of doing a great job, but maybe they can't get in a car and drive to my office. Maybe they can't, you know, they're in a wheelchair or they're, Somewhat restricted at some reason. It's hard for those people to get jobs sometimes. They're ecstatic to come and work for us um, because they could work from home, right? And they had everything they needed already there, right? We didn't do any accommodations for them. They already had all the accommodations sitting there in their home. We started hiring spouses of military because, you know, if you are a spouse of someone who works in the military and you go to get a job in that area, they ask you, oh, you're living on base. Your, your spouse is a, they know not to hire you because you're going to be gone in three months or in six months. They're going right. to lose you all of a sudden, right? Um, and so they don't often want to take, not at a low paying job, but at a mid-level job, they're less likely to hire people because they're they know they're going to lose them. I'm like, come and work <laughs> for us. You know, you can move all you want. You get, you get re- stationed to Hawaii, you get stationed to, you know, Georgia, you get stationed to Germany, go right ahead. You want to keep working for us, you can. So it, it allowed us to take advantage of these incredible talent pools I could never, ever get to. So that,
2: that kind of dovetails into the one of the questions I wanted to ask was how you became this remote work expert. And before you answer that, or maybe you'll answer this with this next question or kind of two questions in one here is, how did you, I know you're a big culture guy. So how did you, how did you transition from sticks and bricks culture to remote culture? Because my wife works for, you know, corporation, all my family's mainly family office clients work for big, bigger corporations. And they've had a tough time transitioning to that, especially here in the Metro Detroit area where, where I'm based out of, there's a lot of, old school companies and they didn't like remote work before COVID (laughs) and I'm not sure if they still like it today, but they've kind of forced, it's been forced upon them.
1: So if your culture sucks, remote work is terrible for you, right? It actually makes your culture worse. You will really struggle. If you manage people by watching them, by micromanaging them, by they better get there by this time and they better not leave before the boss leaves and all that kind of crap. That is old school, outdated management. That is not good leadership. And so if your organization is filled with that, absolutely you will see that. So I worked with some really great organizations last year that were trying to figure it out that wanted to get it right. Johnson & Johnson, IKEA, the National Health Service in the U.K., Citibank. I mean, these are people that I came in and worked with them, and it was a good reminder. Something that uh, Marcus Buckingham talked about in his book, "The Nine Lies of Work." Um, your 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 experience for culture. I mean, there can be a larger corporate culture, right? We, we all kind of understand, in a basic level, what am the difference between Amazon and and Apple right? The difference between Facebook and Twitter. If you you read anything about those companies, you can pick up a general sense of what their culture is at a very macro level. But for the average employee, culture is about what happens to them with their manager and the few people that they work with the most. Yeah. Very personal. That's their culture. And what all the studies have found is when people rate, say, how do you feel about your team? How do you feel about people you work with? How do you feel about your boss? Those directly correlate to how do you feel about your company, how do you feel about your culture, how do you feel about leadership in general. They're almost identically answered. So if you want to get culture right, you want to get remote work right. You got to go down to the team level, to that small level, and get it right there first. Yes, the company can talk, can help at a macro level with technologies, having the right programs, having the right, you know, laptops and access to Wi-Fi or whatever. I mean, the company can do things to make things better. But the lead, the managers themselves have to make that team environment work and work really well if they want it to work. So if that manager is used to hearing paper rustle and staplers clicking, and that's productivity to them, they're, they're going to hate remote work because now they, or if they're the kind of person that likes to hear themselves talk or pull people into a conference room so they can sit and hold court for two hours, right? Because that's how they get, that's, that's their validation for their life. That's, those people die in remote work. And that's a good thing, right? But it's hard to change if you're that person. How
2: in, in the decades that you've been working virtual and, and talking to companies, how, how long does it take a company to transform from that stodgy stick and brick culture, if you will, to more open, just to be open to remote, letting people mm-hmm. work a day or two from home to, now, you know, full time.
1: So it depends, right? So if I take Johnson & Johnson as an example, we worked with them. They were already a good culture. They already have a good leadership and a good system. They were able to adapt very quickly. They just needed to know what to do and how to do it. We didn't have to go through the stuff of the, of the bad leadership stuff, right? We didn't have to also worry about that. So they, they had a one, one-headed dragon to deal with, which is remote work. You're talking about what does an organization do if they have they don't have remote work and they have bad leaders, right? They have this old school right. command and control, do what I say because I say so type of a system. And you know we do everything the same for everybody. And this is just how it's always been done. That's a two or three headed dragon, right? That's a lot harder to deal with. And so those organizations, uh, it takes a lot longer and usually takes a real commitment by the company at the highest levels of leadership to say, this is what we're doing. This is what we expect. And if people aren't meeting those expectations, they need to get rid of them. Uh, There's an old saying I love to kind of repeat. The people that got you here aren't necessarily the people that are going to get you to the next spot, right? The people on the bus right now, and I say the people on the bus you're going to need tomorrow. And here we are in a new, the future of work has arrived. And if you've got leaders who can't adapt and aren't willing To be different uh, and to change their ways and be better and and, and to take advantage of remote work. Remote work has so many advantages. There are so many good things you can get from this and be more productive and have your teams do more work. My number one problem as a remote leader is that my employees work too much. Think about that. That is totally the opposite thing you hear from the average person who doesn't know anything about remote work, they say, well, how do you know your your people are working? How do you know they're even working that, you know, how do you know they're not sitting on the couch watching, you know, uh, days of our lives or whatever soap operas on and eating bonbons. Right. And it's like, I've never had to worry about that. I can see we have clear KPIs, clear measurement. We know what we expect. And my biggest problem is they don't take their vacations. They answer emails at eight o'clock at night when they shouldn't. And they're overworking. And that's not only a problem for me for burnout and keeping my people. It's also a legal compliance issue where if people are working and they're not technically getting paid, I now have a potential exposure later on. So I actually do more about when you're off, you're off. When you're on, you're on. If you want to split the day up and you need to do an hour of email from eight to nine nine at night, if that's your jam, that's cool. But that needs to be a part of your normal eight hour day or whatever it is we've decided you work. Not... I do my eight hours and then I'm going to show up and do an hour at eight o'clock. That's not okay.
2: Right. Right. And that, that's actually something that Kim mentioned as well. Um, and I'll link to my conversation with her in the show notes. It's episode 23 emotional balance sheet. Um, but I actually see that with, with my wife, like when, when COVID hit last year, she, she was already working two days remote, um, which was great, but, when when things really shut down like her hours went up exponentially and mm-hmm. part of that was because of what she she what her role was with the company was and what she had to do but i heard that from other people too that had were in different industries different roles so how as an employee how do you push back to your employer if you will that hey i'm i'm working too much i'm like getting burned out. This is too overwhelming for me. How did, how did, how do people have those conversations?
1: I'm not sure if they have the conversation or not because the employer doesn't care. They just, they'll just keep devouring whatever you're willing to give, right? You as the employee, if you're willing to work and work and work, and they're not going to worry about it, most employers will just keep taking it until you fall over dead. And then they'll bring in the next person. I mean, that's very cynical, but that's, for a lot of companies, just how it is. So you as the employee need to set boundaries, be very clear about when it is you work or be very clear if your schedule is suddenly different for a period of time that you've communicated that to the people who need you the most, right? There are tools in Slack. I can, like right now, everyone knows I'm on a webinar. I went into Slack, set my status to webinar for one hour and people know that if they're writing to me, I'm not going to see it and I'm not going to answer them until I'm done. They know exactly what I'm doing. So I have a way to communicate that. If I was going to be consistently not working between three and 6 PM, and that's a time when people would need me, I might email me or whatever. I would have a standard out of office, internal out of office message during that time. Most out of offices will let you have an external and an internal, internal, right? And so you can set, Hey, Between three and six, I don't work. You know, I'll get back to it at six when I pop back in or whatever. I mean, there's ways to communicate that. But usually what the problem is for remote workers, if you think about a traditional worker who gets in a car or gets on a train or however they get to work, rides their bike, they get to work and that is a starting point. I walk in the door, that means I start work. I do my work and when I leave and I go home, that is a I stop work, right? There's a natural break, start and stop to that day. You might take your computer home. You might decide, you might be a workaholic and decide to do more work, but you had to make that choice. With remote work, there isn't that, right? If you're, you're in your home and your computer's right there, you have to find ways to create the natural start and stop. And that means doing simple things like having a dedicated space where you do your work, that you don't do anything else. You don't have your how your home bills there. You don't share that desk with your kids. You don't. I mean, I think you should have a dedicated space that when you leave that space, that means you left work. So it's a mental break. When you're done with work, actually shut your laptop. Right? That that small act is a mental break, just like when we leave the office and we get in the car. Right, it's a mental break that hey, we need to stop working now. You can decide to open the computer back up and work again, but now you've you've done that act where if you just leave it always on and open and it's sort of there and you can walk by it and oh, I'll just hop on and do a little more work. Right, you can do that. Um, I, you know, the the last part is, I think it's really important for us to have mobile redundancy for a lot of things. But when you say mobile redundancy, what do you mean by that, Chris? Like I have my Google drive on my computer and my phone. I have my Slack on my computer and my phone. I've got all the programs that I need to run my business because if my internet goes out or if I'm out running an errand and someone needs something for me, I can still pop on my phone and be productive. I can get them what they need. I can answer their question. I don't have to be in front of my laptop at my house, at my house. Um, and this is really important for people who are digital nomads that are maybe their Wi-Fi can be up or down, but your phone always seems to work, right? You right. See that. But the problem with mobile redundancy is at eight o'clock at night and you're getting dinged. You're always right? on. <laughs> so you have to be really good about going in and maybe what I do at night, I, you know, if I know I need to stop, I'll go in and shut off all notifications on my phone. I'll still pick up my phone, to, you know, 10 times an hour to look, but at least I'm not getting dinged and my watch is not getting dinged. You know what I mean? That's Because uh, I have people that work late at night. They do their work and they'll come in, they'll put a message to me. They they know I'm not going to reply. They know I'm not in right now. But just so I don't feel that knee-jerk, all oh, they're working, I have to work, or they need me and all that stuff. Yeah, I was just going
2: to say that's like a – I think going back to when my corporate career – when I was in corporate accounting, finance, and operations. And it kind of depends on going back to our, what we kind of hit on too, like who your leader is, who your boss is and what those expectations are. Do, since your boss is emailing you at eight o'clock at night, do, does that mean I have to email back then? And I think a lot of people put that, whether do or undo, put that pressure on themselves to, oh, I got to respond when, more than likely you really don't. It can wait until the morning.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you, it's just a little bit of like mental Olympics, right? To, to have the discipline that you're not going to do that, that when you're off, you're off, when you're on, you're on. And that's the best part about remote work. If you can have that discipline. Now, one thing that I used to do is I used to feel really guilty. If I, let's just say it was two o'clock and I just didn't feel like working. I just You know, couldn't do it, then I would feel guilty that I didn't work right the rest of the day. But I didn't feel guilty when many days I would pop on at seven after dinner and I would do two more hours of work. Right. And so I had to undo that in my head and say, instead, when I'm ready to work, I'm going to work. And when I don't feel like working, I'm not going to work. And I'm not going to be guilty about either one. That's how I operate. I, I get waves of creativity, waves of productivity, and I ride those waves and I have, but I'm more of an up and down person. Other people are just, they just, they're so consistent and power through, um, and that's fine. Then they need to set really good roadblocks for themselves that they work from this hour to this hour. So you have to kind of find out what your cadence is. Like what kind of person are you? My, my wife is just a nonstop. will never, you just, just consistently go right and so she's got to set boundaries for herself. She'll be grading papers until midnight if I, we don't. She doesn't stop herself. <laughs> Whereas I'm more of an up and down, and I just got to ride the wave. So I want
2: to go back to one of the questions I had noted is I want to go back to when you're talking about Johnson and Johnson and the various ways that companies handle this. With your experience, do you see differences between small, medium, or large size companies when it comes to their willingness to offer more remote remote work, or is it 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 doesn't matter what the size of the company is?
1: Well, let's just say pre COVID, certainly smaller companies, um, smaller companies were definitely more likely to utilize the strategy and be willing to to consider it because if you were had a startup, you were a new company, thinking about new stuff you're really forced into I need to find the help I can get that I can afford. And so people were more willing and they would get, you know, might have people all kind of working remotely. That was very common. Um, You know, and and you also didn't, if you're in a startup mode, you didn't have to go get a building, you didn't have to have rent, and it was easier to kind of get your little idea off the ground if you're going to work remotely. So it's really those larger companies, medium, large size companies, or those companies that need some people to physically be there. I mean, I think Kim mentioned on your on your show, right? If you're going to make wine, you got to be in the vineyard. If you're going to make an airplane, you got to be in the hangar. There are people that have to do something right. together. So in those instances, it's well, the person who answers the phones and the bookkeeper and the salesperson they don't have to be in the same location. They can be remote. Um, and so for every company, it's a little bit different. But post COVID or during COVID, I would say certainly the larger organizations. It's always harder for them to move quickly. It's always hard for them to adapt and change. I give them a lot of props for the amount of change they actually did do. They were forced to right? a giant disease and a pandemic and the government telling them they had to, they, they only, they maybe only did it because they were forced to, but they did do it and they did do it quickly, which is not common for for most big companies. So actually it's
2: ironic. You said that because I was looking at my notes and I saw on your your website, you have this quote where regarding remote work, it's not a forced pivot, it's a chance to excel. Yeah. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? I think that's a really great point.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know, um, for us, it was, when we went remote, and again, we went remote because of the recession. It wasn't a pandemic, but it was still a big event. Um, And so for us, that was the first time that we saw rapid growth. That was the first time that we had people, my employees, like loving their jobs, right? As the first time we started getting um, awards and getting, you know, attention. And so, like, I think for people, if they want to use remote work, whether it's for everyone or part of their population or hybrid or whatever, allow that flexibility. I, I mean, we talked about some of those different types of workers that I was able to attract. I mean, you, you think about some of the parents that stay home with the kids and this is men and women, there are men and women that, that choose to stay home, to raise the kids or to be there for the kids. You often have a supercomputer who's got two degrees and can, and can outdo anybody else you have on your team that is spending their entire day pick being a taxi driver and a laundry service. Right. Right. And they're happy to do it and they love their kids and all that, but like they're ecstatic to work, come and do four hours with you or two hours with you. And I could utilize that person. That, uh, often I get three or four of those pe- people and they're only doing three or four hours a day. And But on Fridays, they can't work because that, their kids don't have school that day. And I'm totally willing to be flexible with them. The caliber of person I get, right, is to- totally different than someone who's like, well, I can definitely work all the time. So uh, there are so many advantages Right. Uh, I talked about how, you know, you're, if one person's spouse gets relocated, you don't lose your employee. I mean, I've had good employees I lost because they were married to someone who got relocated prior to us going remote. I can hire the same great, you know, VP of marketing, maybe even a better one, but in Kansas, in Ohio, in Michigan. They're at least 40% cheaper than they are in LA, at least, right? It-
2: what, what do you think? So this is more like an economics question, but I'm, I'm sure you, you, you've kept up on this, is that there are certain cities throughout the country now that are offering tax incentives for people just to relocate to their city, knowing that they're going to work remote. I find that really, really interesting, and I, I know with with you guys out in California, there's a lot of California people that are you know exiting you know the state of California, going to Texas, going to Florida, mm-hmm. no state income tax, and you know their ability to work wherever. And I think what I'm what I'm curious about is, in your opinion, Chris, how is this going to be a, a a change. Is this change going to stick?
1: Well, you know, it's not going to be um, like it is now, right? It's not going to be like it was at the height of pandemic. There's going to be people that go back into the office for whatever reason. I really hope that a lot more people will utilize remote work because they were forced to see that it worked. I hope that people will keep hybrid in place. Maybe they do need their people in the office some days, but if you're like, say, hey, you know, on Mondays, we do all of our team meetings together, our stand-ups or whatever. But then like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, it's totally optional whether you're in the office or not, right? And then maybe on Fridays, we do whatever. And that's when we have our Friday beer thing. Like you, you could create that kind of structure. And that really creates a lot of flexibility for people, allows them to, to work in different ways, to see their kids more, to give them better, you know, uh quality of life. I think remote work gives your employees a different quality of life because they get to see their families. I mean, you eliminate two hours of traffic a day or even both ways. That's huge. I mean, people will leave and take another job, even though they like your company, because the traffic was less. I, I remember I used to coach swimming and I had a really great assistant coach and she left me because it was a 45 minute drive to our, where we coached and she got a job in her backyard for less money, but it, she wasn't driving 45 minutes each way. Right. right? And
2: yeah. And, and I mean, study after study has proven that the longer your commute is, the more unhappy you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I can fully attest to that. My own experience of, of once having a 55 mile one-way commute, and then <laughs> my wife, Teresa, having, you know, that same commute as well. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's a killer. It, it is, it is tough. Yeah. Where I'd like to pivot to now is to talk specifically about the book that you and Kim wrote, um, Remote Work. And, you know, when I, when I had the conversation with Kim, she, three, she threw out like a a couple um, points that she wanted to emphasize with the book. And I'd like, I'd like to ask you the same question. What are a couple key takeaways that you would want people to walk away from the book?
1: If they read the book, I think I really want them to be able to figure out how to uh, create the, the right work environment for them. So we give them lots of examples of different types of environments, different types of companies. There are case studies. So this is not just what did Kim and I do. This is also what did Cornerstone On Demand do, which is one of the largest uh, talent uh, training uh, companies in the world. Uh, what did they do with remote work? What does the U.S. Marine Corps do with remote work, especially around training and being prepared? They, they've been utilizing remote work for a long time, and they have really, really great processes and, and lessons there. Uh, what did the largest nursing staffing company do to staff 5,000 nurses during the pandemic completely remotely, right? like, And so we give all these examples of, of different ways that people can do it. So I want them to walk away with a clear picture of how they can make it work for them. Then there's really some, some great uh, takeaways with what are the really practical things that we do on a daily basis that make it work? So I think how we meet really matters. I think how you meet is really a part of your culture. And so we have created at my company all these different meeting types. We have cockroach meetings and ostrich meetings and tiger team meetings and tsunami planning meetings, and these tell the person, what is the meeting about? What's going to happen? How long is it going to be? Is it mandatory for me to be there or is it optional for me to be there? A lot of our meetings are optional to attend, and you know that by the name of whatever that meeting is. And so, again, if you get invited to a meeting at 3 p.m., but you're off at 3 p.m. normally, can let them know you can decline the meeting and say, Hey, I'm out from this time to set because it's optional. You can invited to a mandatory meeting at three. Well, then you go, Hey, I'm not usually at three. Can we change the time or figure that out? So, you know, there, there's a lot of room for us to meet very effectively. What I've been hearing lately with people saying, you know, that their boss calls a meeting and it's a guaranteed hour, sometimes two hours of just them being on. It's just this nonstop meeting that would never happen in my company. That is ridiculous right? If we did have to have a long meeting, which is unusual, we'd have breaks every 30 to 45 minutes, you know, for, for 15 minutes. So people can catch up on email, they can go to the bathroom, they get something to drink. then we come back and we restart again because I don't want them not paying attention. If you're on for two hours, no one's paying attention to you. They're doing their work. They're on Facebook. They're on candy crush. They're doing something else. Cause no one wants to sit and stare at their team for two hours. Right. Right. So I asked them for high focus. Can we sprint for forty five minutes and then I'm gonna give you fifteen minutes to go rest and do what you want? We'll come back. we'll run hard again for forty five minutes and then rest again if we have to do a longer session.
2: So you're really trying to ch- not only you're trying to change how we meet too, mm-hmm. which is really interesting because right. I think that's you know I remember back in my corporate days and like that was awful. like I would I know there was some weeks where literally, I would be in meeting after meeting, day after day after day, and I wouldn't get anything accomplished unless I was working on it at night. And that's a part of corporate I certainly do not miss at all.
1: Yeah, and that's something I've been working with the companies on lately is creating these optional versus mandatory meetings, right? Um, Helping them determine what needs to be a meeting and what can be uh, done asynchronously, right? What can be put just in as notes or or into Slack or into email or whatever they use. Uh, I know uh, recently Edwards Life Science was post pre-COVID, Edwards Life Sciences figured out that they had people showing up late to meetings all the time. And that's because all the meetings were being started at like top of the hour and they were going for an hour. And then the, their facility is so gigantic. Their campus is so big. No one had time to walk from the meeting that they just got out of and make it to the next meeting on time. So all the meetings had to start at like on a 15 or a 45 or something like that. And then they couldn't be longer than like a half an hour, 45 minutes like they had. And so that way people had time to walk to the next meeting. So they weren't late because every meeting was starting late.
2: Yeah. And that's, that's an excellent point. One of the, one of the things I wanted to focus on or or have you elaborate on with your book is what your what you and Kim are doing as far as the the offer that you're giving to people. Um, talk about that because I think that's pretty special. And I and I want our our you know audience to to know about that, especially those that might be in senior or you know leadership roles that could take advantage of 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 what you guys are offering with with remote yeah. work.
1: As we were writing the book and we were talking to people about this, we kept hearing, oh, I want to buy 10 of these books or 25 of these books, or I'm going to get this for my whole team, for my whole company. And I really want, you know, so we all can read at the same time and take advantage of the lessons. And that's a really great way to upgrade your culture very quickly or upgrade what's happening is to get everyone to read that one book at the same time, talk about, discuss it, realize what works, and then implement strategies. So to incentivize people to do this, I went back to all of the people in the remote world that I know that have incredible remote offerings. And some of these offerings aren't necessarily remote specific, but they certainly would help a remote company or anyone has remote employees. And said, hey, I want to incentivize people to buy the books. Would you be willing to give away some of your best stuff or discount some of your best stuff if they're willing to buy the books. And they said, sure. So I had 50 companies come to me and say, if someone buys 10 books, I will give them a 30 minute coaching session on how to do this thing. If they buy 25 books, I'll give them an hour. Right. Or, uh, you know, uh, someone who's an expert in diversity and inclusion, inclusion, inclusion training. She said, if someone buys 10 books, I'll give them an entire guide on how to do it all the way up to, if they buy 500 books, she's going to give them a two day, all inclusive training for their entire company. Right? So uh, people knew that there is this need out there and Really, really, we're so fortunate that so many companies said, Hey, here's our best stuff. We support this. We understand that if people read the book, they're going to get it and then they're going to make remote work great. And so we want to support that. And then we're going to give away our best stuff, or in some cases, discount their stuff, like discount um, remote employee listings on places like FlexJobs. Uh, the National Association of Digital Learning is actually giving away upgrades to Zoom. So if you're using like a regular Zoom, you actually get an upgrade for a whole year to Zoom just for buying the books. So like if you buy 10 books, I guarantee if you just pick a few things that you like out of the giveaways, you're going to get all your money back from all these free services that people have. Um, and so we just thought it'd be a fun way to really make sure we start this off with a bang. That's incredible. That That is really, really incredible. Uh, along those lines,
2: um you know, I know that there's some small businesses uh, that that listen to the, to the podcast. And one of the things that I've been interested in and and people have asked me about is, I actually just talked to one of my neighbors who owns his own law firm. He just hired a virtual assistant. Mm-hmm. You know, when it comes to, to that field where like you're like me or like him, like we're solopreneurs, what are some areas or places to go that you, at least you would recommend for us, Chris, to find somebody like a virtual assistant?
1: Yeah. So it really depends on the kind of virtual assistant you need. So let's just start it's because there's a spectrum here. There's the, do you just need them to do tasks for you? And can you hire someone out of country who might be really inexpensive? Like, do you just need someone to like do these really mundane tasks? And you, you know you can go to uh, I think freelancer has been changes you Ud- to not Udemy uh, there's Upwork and several of these places You can go on there and say, hey, I need someone who can, you know, do these tasks for me, who can create these posts or, you know, do these, create me these little graphics or whatever it may be. I think that's a good place to go. And you can decide where, what country and, and what level of expertise by people will bid for your, your service. Now that goes all the way the spectrum of if you have, need something more consistent, or maybe the, This is a bit more high-level intellectual work. Like Kim and I have had virtual assistants who literally go into our email. Hire we hire them in a different time zone, so they go into our email in the morning and clear out all the junk. They respond to anybody they know they can respond to on our behalf and clear that out of our way and then flag for us the most important stuff that they know we need to see or that we have to respond to. So when I walk in and I see my inbox, it's already been cleaned up for me. That's going right. to be an incredible feeling, <laughs> right? My inbox is small. People have already got their answers. I had people say, I didn't know you worked at three o'clock in the morning. Like I, <laughs> I, don't know. I didn't, yeah. oh, I'm always working. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. No. it's my virtual assistant and they're doing that. So there's some great resources like the Virtual Assistant Association. Um, Melissa Smith. If you can't find her on LinkedIn or that association, DM me on, on LinkedIn. I'm happy to make a referral. You know, she's got an entire association of of people that that do that job. Uh, some really great ones out there. But what was her name again, Chris? It was the Virtual
2: uh, Assistant Association. Association.
1: Her name is Melissa Smith. Okay. Um, she's connected with me and you could, if you could find me on LinkedIn, you could find her. I know her name's, a, there's more than one Melissa Smith out there. So, um, but if you have any trouble, let me know. Okay. Uh, she's, you know, she, they, they've got people who are uh, going to work for you a lot, right? You may have one person who's working full time. You may have someone who's working time for you. So it just sort of depends on what you need, right? She's need a little bit of, of help with some side projects. You need a little freelancer person who can handle some stuff who can do some copywriting or graphic works for you. I've had those people and that works great. And I can usually I've hired them all around the world, you know, or project based. I mean, Fiverr is really based around that whole need, right? You're like, oh, right. I need, I need this one thing. I need a I need a new intro for my podcast or someone who will go and record that for you. But that's sort of a one off thing. Up to I need to hire somebody as a virtual assistant. Okay. One of the last
2: Topics I want to get to is I want to talk about um, your podcast Talent Talk. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about what what that is. What's the focus of of your podcast with that?
1: So I, for many years, as I was basically trying to figure out all this culture stuff and remote work stuff and everything, so I would go to a lot of conferences and I would go and hear a lot of people talk, and I would, you know, if I could corner them for five minutes and ask a bunch of questions, I was happy, right? Or if I could get them on the phone, if I could, you know, I was, I would, I would send no- notes out or emails out to people and say, Hey, really admire your work. Can I have five minutes? Like I promised literally five minutes and you can hang up on me. I just want to ask you a few questions. You know what I mean? Pick their brains. And there were certain questions I was really interested in. And I can give you an example of one in a second, if you want, but you know, I, I found that by asking these talented people, about what they did to be so talented and how they were managing their talent and what were they thinking about and what books were they reading or what books did they always suggest people read by just getting those few consistent questions answered over and over and over again. I kept getting incredible detail back. And it really helped me up my game very quickly, right? Instead of, instead of asking your, your friends who invite to dinner party, what they're reading, you're going to get all kinds of stuff. You go ask the CEO of the company who you admire most what they read, right? Or what book they always suggest people read. That's a real answer. That's the one you want, right? Because your friends from your dinner party are probably going to give you every, you know, they're reading Twilight to, you know, whatever, rich dad, poor dad, or whatever. I mean, that's not what you're going to need to make your business go, you know, move forward. So uh, that, that I took that idea. And one day someone asked me to actually do a live radio show, which I still do, uh, through the UCI Implied Innovation Campus. And then we turn that live show into a podcast. And so it's all about picking the brains of talented people, specifically around talent issues, right? Your business and talent. So I'm not talking about contracts. I'm not talking about Sales. Not talking about marketing. I'm talking about managing your people and what are the things you need to be doing and reading and thinking about so you can be better. Even if you're not the CEO, even if you're just started a brand new job and you just got out of college, there's plenty for every person to learn. If 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 you're in the mindset of being a lifelong learner, I think my show is a good place for you to 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 land every once in a while.
2: That's great. Yeah. And we'll definitely, I'll definitely put that that link to your show uh, in our show notes for this one. And so, I know I only have you for a finite period of time. And as we've talked about meetings and making sure we're on time, uh, I think I'll get to, to my closing question that I ask all my guests, which is, what is the best thing about being a parent?
1: What is the best thing about being a parent? Well, I just got through having three teenagers. I only have one teenager left. So uh, often congratulations. Answer, yeah. Often the answer is nothing. Uh, <laughs> when you have teenagers, when I had three at one time, but I would say the best thing about being a parent, you know, is seeing what they, what they end up deciding to do, like what they end up deciding to be excited about, because, you know, like my wife and I were big sports people. We, you know, I, I played water polo and I swam my whole life. I played soccer my whole life. She played basketball and soccer her whole life. Right. And so it was so funny. We thought for sure we'd have a water pole player and a basketball player. Right. And we liked soccer. We played soccer, but that wasn't like our main, main thing. We coached basketball and we coached water pole. I coached water pole. No, none of my kids want to be water pole players. None of them want to be swimmers. They tolerated, the, the, you know, the basketball. They played, they were all, they were like, soccer was their thing. They were a competitive team, lived, breathed, and died soccer. And so it was just so interesting. Like, I thought that my kids would have more of what they ended up liking to do would be more impacted by us. And it was really interesting to see that it really wasn't. Their interests were so diverse and so different. It was fun to learn new things and do new things. Um, In fact, I started learning guitar and ended up being in several bands and all this because my kids wanted to learn guitar and I got. I was sitting at the guitar lessons for an hour, waiting for them every, you know, once a week. And I said, this is stupid. (laughs) Why am I sitting here doing nothing but, you know, playing Candy Crush or Facebook or whatever? I should go take a lesson, right? And so I took a lesson when they took a lesson because they were interested in it. And then, of course, they quit after about six months and I kept going, right? I ended up finding a real passion around it. So I think it's the best thing about being a parent is I think maybe – seeing where they go and learning and and being exposed to new things. If you're willing to like kind of chase your kids down the rabbit hole to the stuff that they're interested in.
2: Well, that, that is a, that's a really fascinating answer. And uh, it's, that's the most interesting thing about the podcast for me anyways, has been people's response to that question, because as you probably well know, you know, I have a set of 10 year old triplets and, and a, and an eight year old as well, and they go in all different directions and, like you, I can relate right now. At least I don't share a whole, they
1: don't share a whole lot of interest with, with dad. So, right. um, You're in the prime time years, man. You're about to get into the like absolute best years when they're, they're old enough to get interested in things and want to be around you and do things. um, But they're not rolling their eyes and they're not, you know, sneaking out in the middle of the night and all that's not teenagers yet. So yeah, you're in your golden (laughs) years, buddy. And then, but pain is coming. Pain is coming. So be ready. I got it. Well, Chris, I can't thank you enough for being on the Emotional
2: Balance Sheet podcast. This has been a real blast. I'm glad that Kim Shepard uh, hooked us up and uh, I'll have a lot of great links in the show notes and uh, hopefully we can get some people uh, on, on your book deal and take advantage of, of that great offer that you have with really helping people out, which I think is a major focus for, for you. And I know it's been that way for Kim Shepard as well.
1: Yeah. And they can find everything at chrisdyer.com slash remote work promo, um, or they can message me, but they got to get those books pre-ordered before May 25th. If you happen to be listening to the show after May 25th, that's okay. You can still buy the books one at a time, but there just won't be the promo part. So. All right.
2: Very good. Thank you very much, Chris. I look forward to talking to you soon. And thanks Paul. Thanks for having
0: me on. Thank you for listening to this episode of the emotional balance sheet podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast.